Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. It's our pleasure to introduce Ron and Suzanne Cox this morning. They're both ordained ministers in the Assemblies of God. Suzanne has served as General Presbyter for the Southeast Region as well as on the National Women in Leadership Committee for the Assemblies of God. Her life experiences have uniquely positioned her to minister hope and encouragement to others. After many years of addiction to drugs and alcohol, she experienced a miraculous salvation at the age of 31. That's been four or five years ago. She has served as a missionary to Sri Lanka and India with Teen Challenge, and Ron's life is, uh, his testimony is equally remarkable. An alumni of Southern University, Southeastern University, Pastor Ron spent nearly 45 years as a senior pastor, most recently serving Kingwood Church in suburban Birmingham, uh, Alabama, for 35 years. And despite personal adversities, he led Kingwood through a long season of sustained growth. Since his transition out of the role of senior pastor in 2009, the church continues to be an epicenter of effective local ministry and world missions impact. Ron and Suzanne currently minister in churches, leadership seminars, marriage encounters, women's conferences all around the country. They founded Legacy of Purpose, a ministry of Kingwood Church. Legacy of Purpose empowers them to invest heavily in missions work and evangelism at home and abroad, focusing on touching the next generation. The blending of their unique testimony brings a message of God's faithfulness and grace. How many of you were just so moved by Suzanne's testimony on Friday night? If you weren't here for that, it's available out on the, uh, in, in the lobby. You need to get a copy of that. Their heart for missions inspires their local church family to join with them in reaching their community in the world with a hope and joy that is available only in Jesus Christ. They have a book that has been written on the story of their lives entitled Call It Incredible, the Ron and Suzanne Cox story. It's available on the table uh, in, the, in the foyer. And a movie is about to be made about their life's journey. Isn't that incredible? So we're looking forward to, uh, for that. So you can visit their product table uh, after the service, uh, but let's, this morning, let's welcome Ron and Suzanne Cox. Thank you. Thank you so very much. I'll just use it to shave with. <laughs> Amen. Boy, what they read about us, I, I, I didn't even recognize who that was. Letting somebody else come up and preach. Thank you. I, 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 I resemble that. Uh, uh, who's? They was talking about a movie, and I thought, who would be good to play me? Uh, what about <clears throat> Danny DeVito? Would he be good? To, <laughs> um, he would be a good one to to play me. You know, we had a great time in the early service. Heaven came down and touched some people's lives. We're going to be real, okay? We're just we're going to be real. We're just going to get down to it and be real. I, uh, <clears throat> uh, one lady was telling me, I thought that was so cool. She came up after service. She said one of the dreams that I had for my life. My husband uh, I got born again back in a latter part, I think it was, of 16. And I always, uh, I had a constant dream going on inside of me. The one that I could see my husband with his hands raised and tears flowing like a water faucet. And he was in a blue shirt. She said, you came by in, in that prayer room, prayer line, and you prayed for us. And I looked over. My husband had on a blue shirt. And his hands were raised as he encountered God. Tears flowed down his face like a water faucet. Hold on to your dreams. Hold on to what you believe. God will do those things. I, I, I ministered. You should have been here. It was, uh, it was a good word, I think. 
good as I can do. But anyway, I talked about four lepers sitting at the gates and the decisions you have to make in life for a great awakening. Uh, I'm not going to preach on that right now. But you can't stay here. That was the first decision. I'm not going back. How many know there's death back where you came from? You're not going back. How many, how, you, 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 sometimes struggles happen in Christians' lives, and we say, well, I'm just going to quit, okay? To what? How will it look? You remember when you came to Jesus? There's death back, back in the city. You can't stay here. You can't go back. And then I preached another point. If I can't stay here and I'm not going back, there's only one thing i got to go on. Right? So they went, and God changed their footsteps supernaturally where they took back from the enemy what he stole from them. And then after they ate everything and were blessed, they said, now we got to go back because there's a city without Jesus. So that was the process. You should have been here. But you wasn't, so let me talk about something else. We're talking about going the distance for real freedom, for real deliverance. And we mentioned them, and they made their journey. Uh, I talked about how we perceive God affects everything in our lives uh, and what we do in life. Uh, sometimes we go through struggles, and, and God is over there, and... and uh, our struggles become so close to us that I wish I could get God into here, but sometimes we don't feel worthy or some guilt or shame or whatever creates greater and greater distance. And we'll come to church and we put on that church look. You know what the church is, that holy look? It, it's, it looks like you're suffering somewhere between acid indigestion and a migraine headache. A holy look... But down deep inside, we're sitting in a church pew. But way down deep inside, you don't know what I'm going to go home to. You don't know what's out there. I've got children lost without God. I've got some heartbreaking situations that are driving me. I love to come to church. I love the strength that I got. But we're here together. It's, have you ever found out sometimes it's easier to worship God collectively than it is to get out of here and go home and just you and your wife and your children and your difficulties and and that's where you really got to worship God. So we're going to talk about that. The distance that's inside of us for all of those years. I, I don't know how God built a church. N numbers is not really the thing. But God built a church at Kingwood. <laughs> Two years after I was there, my wife says something's going wrong with me. And a beautiful little woman, beautiful girl, uh, Fourth Cherokee Indian, it raised in a, a Christian home, and her brother was the superintendent of the state of Alabama. And all of a sudden, we went from psychiatrist to psychologist. To, our world just collapsed. I'm not getting into any of that. But for 24 and one half years, see, you can go through a problem for six months, a year, two years, three years. But 24 and a half years, you don't go through a problem. That problem becomes who you are. And in the middle of those pains, you have to decide what is important. You're either going to flee or you're going to run to God. You don't have any choices. They called me the singing preacher at the nursing home. Now, some of y'all heard, heard a little bit of this. I didn't tell much in my testimony. But they called me the singing preacher because 15 years, I had to feed my wife every bite of food. I had to dress her. I had two little girls. I raised two little girls. One of them was in my former pastor of the church. I love that guy over there. You're a great one, my bud. You're a, you're a general. He just lost his wife. Listen, we're just going to talk, okay? Now listen. Can a man sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Yeah, you can sing the Lord's song. It's a choice. See, God will prepare a table before you, but he won't force you to eat. Someone, God's not going to hand feed you. You got to pick it up and eat it. So I began to, I began to go to the nursing home after I took care of her 15 years. The organs in her body shut down. So the church was, the church was 
um, one mile from the, the nursing home, and the nursing home was one mile from my home. And after 15 years at home, I had to finally put her in a nursing home. And she was in her very early 40s at that time. We were 20. She was 27, and I was 28. For 24 and a half years, I lived as a man without a normal relational life. And God built a church, Pastor, under my nose. A church that went, and I don't know, it wasn't. The pain, God didn't do it, but in spite of the pain, God came through and built an authentic church where everybody could be real together. It was unbelievable what God did. Now we're going to be a movie star. <laughs> Going the distance. Bette Miller, wasn't it? She wrote, from a distance. That's not true. But you, sometimes your difficulties can make it true. You feel like, I can't approach God because of the baggage that I have. He will not even accept me. And that's what we talked about this morning. I talked about four lepers. I'm going to bring it down and give you, a, give you a little break. We're only going to talk about one leper in the New Testament. But let me tell you something. I found out that the Bible is filled with divine encounters of people in hopeless situations who decided to bridge the distance. Regardless of what's going on, I'm going to Jesus and I'm staying with Jesus and He's going to bring me through regardless. And that's what we're going to talk about. Taking the steps eliminating spiritual distance. You can be sitting in this church, yet on the inside, you're outside. Or how you perceive God affects everything that you are and do in life. I was a little inner city ghetto kid. I told a little bit. I'm just going to tell one little story. Then I'm going to get into the message, and then we're going to stop, and then we're going to go, we're going to eat again? Can we eat again? Get some ice cream? I'm a full gospel preacher. Mama raised, my daddy was a World War I veteran. World War I. And he married, and his first wife died. And, and then later on, my mama was way on up in her late 30s, and she married my dad, who was much older, and they wasted no time. And within seven, eight years, they had five children, one set of twins. Let me just tell you this story real quick. My mama, they, 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 my dad was very abusive. He was shell-shocked, and they didn't, couldn't diagnose it back in those days because of the ravages of war, and he carried out some of those things on my own mama. And she had five little children. We were in the inner city of Indianapolis in a row houses, and they, uh, dad, insult to injury, my mama had contracted tuberculosis. In those days, tuberculosis was deadly. You had to go to a sanatorium. So how much worse can it get? Your husband is doing what he's doing. He's losing. He's lost his mind. And now you got five little kids, and now you got tuberculosis. Can God come through? It's stuff like that. Well, listen. My, I had an aunt named Aunt Therese. Aunt Therese loved God big time. Big time. And she believed that if, a, if she anointed you with a little oil, a lot of oil would be better. <laughs> if she anointed a handkerchief, you would have to wipe oil out of your ears. My mother was not saved. She was very bitter. But my Aunt Therese had, had prayed and said, Hannah, my sister, the next youngest one in her family, she must have a miracle. Because they had the, the, the foster care had was coming the next day to take off all of the children and scatter all of the children into foster care, which would have uh, dissolved our family. And they were going to take my mother, who was pregnant, with a child. And, of course, the child also had in her tuberculosis. And they were going to take her off to a sanatorium. 
And my Aunt Teresa said, Hannah, you may not understand anything spiritually or miraculously, but if you'll do it and you're desperate enough, take this handkerchief and put it on your face tonight. And when, when the, the foster care people come to take our children, your children demand one more test. I talked to my older brother and he told me he remembers when she went to the sanatorium to take that test. And she said, Tell them you want one more test because I believe in the night as you lay that anointed handkerchief on your head that God will heal you of tuberculosis. So mama was so desperate not understanding it. She put it on her face and she woke up the next morning and the swelling in her face had gone. And they came to the door to take off all of the children to take her to the sanatorium. And she demanded a test. They took her and gave her a test. You know the story. God in the middle of the night, not because of the anointed handkerchief, but because he's just a good God. He healed my mother of tuberculosis. And the reason why I believe in healing today is because I was that baby inside of my mother. And I was healed before I was born. Now, since I've got that off of my chest, let's preach. Biblical history has always been made by people who would go the distance, who would answer the call of God in times of crisis and challenges. Moses answered the call of God when God's people were in slavery in Egypt for 430 years. And God said, I want to use you. What do you have in your hand? I don't have nothing but a stick. If that's all you got is a stick, give it to me. And he gave it to me and he said, let my people go. And God set a people free from 430 years of bondage. Esther answered the call of God when Persia was ready to exterminate all Jews from the face of the earth. She was going to annihilate the Jewish race, but she stepped in front of the king and she said, if I perish, I perish. My God will come through. How determined are you that you be changed before this service is over? John the Baptist answered the call of God when Israel was in spiritual death spiral under Roman occupation. They literally used the Jewish people and they put them on stakes to become human torches to light the chariots for the Roman soldiers in the Apian way. And there cometh one named John the Baptist and he came with the message, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is coming one who I'm not worthy to unlatch his shoes. I will baptize you in water, but he shall baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. God always has a voice. He knows where you are. Your day cannot be so dark that the shafts of his presence and intervention cannot reach where you are. He bottles your tears. He collects them. I told the lady this morning, every don't lie, we don't shed. The reason you wipe them away is because you don't understand them. And we don't lie, we don't even know where they come from. But God cherishes your tears like diamonds. And he bottles them. And I'm going to tell you, if you shed a lot of tears for that prodigal son or that prodigal daughter or that circumstance, he's got them all in bottles. And I'm going to tell you, he's going to use those tears as the irrigation system for your next harvest somebody give the Lord the praise this morning listen to me I want to try to be on my best behavior don't you be on your best behavior listen we're going to talk about not the story of the four dying lepers let me get through those pages are still hot let's get to it we're going to talk about a one leper. Mark 1, 40, verse 45. Could you put it up there on the screen? Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him. We're going to stay right there for a minute. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched his hand, and touched him and said, I am willing, be clean. 
And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leper, uh, the leprosy left him and he was clean. Leave that up for just a moment. Let's just kind of simply look at this. Let's focus on verse 40. Of abridging the distance between us and our deliverance. Mark 40 says in another verse, a man with leprosy, a man with leprosy, listen, came to Jesus. I'm telling you something. His condition became who he was. His identity was what he was going through. I want to tell you something. The Word of God tells very little about this man who was, who was the subject of one of the first recorded miracles in the Bible. It doesn't even give us this man's name. Your name is important. The Bible is filled. Have you ever read some of those books in the Old Testament? That's the reason people don't read the Bible. Name after name and you can't even pronounce them. I per read it anyway. Pronounce them Mississippi and go on. It doesn't even give us the man's name. You want to know why? Write this down. His identity was swallowed up in his condition. What he, what he was going through was who he was. That's what the devil wants you to believe. He wants you to sit here, but you're not really like everybody else here because you're going through stuff. That's who you are. No, you're not. You're not what you're going through. You are who God says you are. Are you understanding me? If not careful, we can become more identified with what we're going through than the potential that we have of what we can become. Pastor, I rolled my wife up in a wheelchair Sunday after Sunday and prayed for the sick. Pentecostal. Gifts of the Spirit. Other people were healed and I rolled my wife home. The secret things belong to God. I have no idea. What if my identity was wrapped up in what I was going through? I'll tell you who I am. I'm Ron Cox, a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I refuse to bow down and let what I'm going through identify who I am. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. I'm an heir and a joint heir. Somebody help me, my Lord help me. With Jesus Christ. You're not careful. You can become more identified with what you're going through than you have the potential of becoming. Difficulties... And issues in your life can so consume you that they become who you are. A leper came to Jesus. A condition came to Jesus. Leprosy can't come to Jesus. You come to Jesus. I'm not talking about there's some people like Facebook or something, they'll put all of their conditions. And here's what I'm going through. I'm not talking about playing a violin. And then they get mad because 45 people didn't respond. And they get worse. Stop it! You're not what you're going through. You are who God declares you to be. Somebody help me. We're going to get loose in a minute. I'm warming up. Priming the pump. Difficulties can become who you are. Has your circumstances ever made you feel like an outcast? Hmm? Oh, you're sitting in church, but you but inside you're out in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. It's quiet, good. Go the distance. Scream out. You scream out inside of you. I don't fit in the pecking order of life. Man, if I was just like that preacher on the platform, he's got a, got a big old red silk hanky. You know, back years ago, Pastor, you don't know this, you're too young. But preachers uh, wore these hankies, and the bigger the church is, the higher the hanky was. 
And if you really pastored an incredible sized church, you'd turn it over and let it flop. Y'all identifying with me? Let's be real. Listen, there is always a great temptation to over-identify yourself. Write that down. It's worth writing. Either in your weaknesses or in your strengths. I found out people collapse in God more in their strengths than they do in their weaknesses. You can over-identify with your flaws or your gifts by what you can do or you can't do. What you have or what you don't have. This man was defined by the disease of which there was no cure. How would you like to define yourself by something that only has death in it? Which quarantined him to a life of living at a distance. When you live at a distance with people, with God, you will also live at a distance with people. Or at least the right people. He was removed. He was marginalized on the inside without normal relationships, without normal interactions because of what he was going through. If this church just found out what I did Saturday night, The tears that he shed when you're at a distance, the only one that can wipe them away is yourself. I'm so glad that I did not go through my circumstance, though I rolled my little wife up in a wheelchair and she sat and I'd preach over here and wink at her while she was sitting in a wheelchair in the front. Listen to me. Everything wasn't tidy. Listen to me. Those tears you shed in sh yourself when I was a little kid. My brother and I talked the other day, got quite vulnerable for the first time. We had a broken family. I just found my homeless brother. He, he died and he, after 59 years. Well, that's a whole different deal. But you know what? The law, even church, religious law, defined this man how you need to act because of what you're going through. Even religion will define you that will create distance in you. Now listen to me. Here's what Leviticus said. Have you ever noticed the more liturgical a church becomes, the higher their pulpits? The more God clothes they wear? Hmm? which makes you feel that there's a distance between the man that has gotten closer to God than you. That's not true. That's not true. They start talking in King James language. Be real. Leviticus 13 describes through religious law. Corey Tinboom, by the way, you know, when, they, when she was in a concentration camp, they took away her name and they gave her a number. They meant she was going to respond by her condition. She was what she was going through, not who she was potentially to, was inside. They said that if you're a leper, the first thing you got to do, you got to tear your clothes got to wear ragged clothes. You got to keep your hair unkept. You got to live alone outside of the camp by yourself. An old rusty bell. And if anybody, you got to stay within 50 feet away from everybody. If I was to count 50 feet, one, two, three, I'd be out the door in the parking lot. Some of you spiritually or what you're going through is out the door, though you're sitting here. And then if anybody approaches that is got it together, what you got to do is you got to holler unclean, and then you got to ring a bell. If you want to go through, you got to say, I'm unclean! I'm unclean! I'm coming! 
Do you hear a bell every time you want to commit to God in an area and you remember something that you've done? You said, I can't walk with God at that level. Soon as you say, I'm going to make a commitment, a bell starts ringing. Oh, I hate that bell. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. And it creates distance. And you can't go for the miracle that's available. What bell is ringing inside of you every time you want to bridge the distance? The bridge, the bell of shame and guilt. The greatest part of this man's disease, we're looking at it, was not physical. Oh, it was horrible. But it was the emotional isolation that it created on the inside of him. See, real victory does not come from fixing the outside first. Real victory comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. My victory was from the outside. From, was from the inside out, not from the outside in. I want you to grasp with me, and I'm only going to be a few minutes, and the pastor's going to come in just a little bit, and then we're going to have an honest, open altar call for people that want to bridge the distance because everybody here, and I mentioned that, the altar call is only for these three kinds of people, nobody else. But everybody here is in the same boat. We're just alike. And here's the three needs that everybody has here today. Number one, everybody in this building, including your preachers, has a need. Everybody. Everybody. Secondly, this is the hardest answer. And I'm not talking about sin. It could be sin. But everybody here has a hidden pain. Everybody. Thirdly, everybody here has a potential in God that you have not yet reached. Don't, don't, if you feel like you've reached your potential, you are in a dangerous place. Do you hear me? So the altar calls are only for those kinds of people. The rest of you, I would like before you leave, I'd like to touch you and watch you glow. So here was a man with no name living in isolation. There was a leper who came to Jesus, to him, to Jesus. Get it? Oh, it's just so simple. He decided, I'm going to eliminate distance. They tell me I can't go that 50 feet. I'm going to take them. Because I see someone on step 50 that I believe is my answer. So he said, the no-name leper, I'm going to one who does have a name, and his name is above every name. And at that name, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess. A no name going to a man with a name. Whatever name or issue you have ha that you're battling with that has created distance, whether you feel worthless or sinful or you can't get over this bondage or this habit, whatever. Like I was a welfare kid or whether or not you're hooked on drugs, name it. There is a name that no names can go to. And he can give you a new name. When the leper came to Jesus, now I want, to, I want you to picture it, he broke every religious rule. Pretty soon the church has got down things pretty pat. I'm not talking about rebellion. 
But I'm telling you what, when real Holy Ghost revival breaks out, there's going to be some rules that will be broken because people are so desperate. They kept telling Jesus, quit breaking rules. What, you're walking on the Sabbath. You're working on the Sabbath. You're picking corn on the Sabbath. David had an enemy after him. He went into a temple. There was showbread. They were starving. And they went over and smelled that bread. That's only for priests. That's only for priests. Those that have made it up there beyond you. You don't understand how hungry my men are. David reached on the table of showbread and took, I tell you, desperation and hunger is going to soon hit the church and we're going to break some rules because of our hunger. Now listen, if there's bread in the house, I want to eat it. He broke every religious rule. He was motivated by a hunger to be free. Hunger is a motivational factor. It, it, it creates dependency. Without hunger for God, there'll be no progress. There'll be no expansion. There'll be no pursuit. There'll be no advancement. There'll be no passion. Without hunger for God, you will cease to become a transforming influence. Hunger for God. Listen, if you don't mean hunger, hunger for God. Hunger causes people to live outside of themselves. Hunger it will release the gifts of the Spirit in the church like it's never been. Hunger for God is an unquenchable passion that makes all other desires subservient. Everything that drives decisions and reveals God in your life is not a respond is not a response to how well you're doing it. It's a response to an inner hunger. Today, preacher, I want to touch God. I've got some problems that I don't have answers for, but I got a hunger for And I can't dance to the drum beat. And I'm tired of hearing the bell. You think it would have been easy for me to stop praying for the sick when I watched my wife become like a vegetable? Stay with me. We're almost done, be honest. Hunger will make you spiritually alive, but never satisfied. This desperate leper refused to keep the appropriate distance. He was so hungry. He saw someone 50 feet away that he said, if I just reach him, I believe my life will be different. He decided to take the walk of shame and risk and he began to take the 50 steps. Would you imagine it? Toward intimacy and freedom. The first step had to be the hardest, Pastor. Because in Leviticus it told him, you got to ring a bell, say unclean, stay 50 feet away. I'm going to Jesus... Maybe that's, maybe that's the altar response today. I, I, 49. I took it. 48. Do you want to see your path totally clear? Are you willing to get excited over Jesus over just the next step? Now listen to me. The first step. But I think he reasoned. I would. I know what it does. If I break the rule, they could stone me to death. And they have the religious right to stone me. But you know, I'm so desperate for God. Look at this preacher. I've been pastoring for 52 years. Link doesn't matter. But I'm hungrier for God right now than I've ever been in my entire life. I'm so hungry for God. I'm hungry for the young people. I want to see God send a move of God to our young. That's my hunger. Will you take the steps one at a time? And then he started reasoning. 49, 7, 6, 40, 
I haven't been stoned yet. Somehow God will protect you from the stoning of other people if you're headed towards Jesus. You. He will protect you. If they stone me, if they stone me at step 40 and I die in a puddle of my own blood, at least I'm closer to Jesus than I was 10 steps ago. This is so immature. I know it's not deep. But I'm being sincere. God doesn't come through for me if he doesn't change my marriage right now, if he doesn't bring that prodigal home, son home with some preacher laying hands on me and then all of a sudden it just happens. I will still walk with God. I will still keep taking steps forward. He felt at step 40, this is me. Hey, an inner passion, inner thoughts rose in him that he never had before, honey. He said, you know, I'm not healed. I still got this leprosy. <laughs> but I'm having thoughts of one day if I'll keep walking that I'll hug my little daughters again. That if I could get to him I can just feel myself hugging my little girls. Listen. Step 30, 40, 39, 40. I'm down to to 20 steps. I only got 30 more steps to go. No one has tried to stop me. Dreams begin to shoot. But you know what he decided not to do? He decided at the beginning, I know what people tell me I have to do. But I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to ring that bell. Because I think I don't have to ring it if I'm headed to the right person. I will not ring the bell. Listen to me, folks. I'm not going to ring the bell. I'm not going to yell unclean. He refused to identify himself with what he was going through. You know what he did? He began to draw strength from what he was about to become, not what he was. This is good, better than you're responding. Thank you. What he was about to become. Listen, now he's down. He's down to 20 steps. But they can't now. I'm I'm not stopping. I'm too far gone. They can't keep me from invading the presence of an undefiled redeemer. I'm too close now. The situation is too desperate. Faith pushed through 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 12. I think he's looking at me. Nobody's ever looked at me. Look at those chestnut eyes. I'm looking at him, but I think he's looking at me. See, the closer you get, the more you'll know his watch care. Twelve steps. I'm going the distance. What does he do when he arrives? I'm almost done. He falls down. He falls down. How can I worship when I'm not even healed yet? Some of you have got God on the bargaining table. Worship must precede your deliverance. He fell down and he worshiped him. He got into, why don't you write it down? He got into a worship position before he received a possession. Lord, I know you're not supposed to. I'm not supposed to be here. I don't deserve to be here. It goes against all Judaic principles, but I desperately need your help. I desperately need to be free. 
I need you to help me today. I'm going to break all rules. I'm completely. And then he said to him, you can look at those verses. If you will. If you will. You can make me clean. I know you have the power to do it. But see, I'm in such a condition. Will you grant me the humanness of my life to say, I don't know if you will. Have you ever come to God knowing he had power, but wondering if he would? Come on. I'm mean, glad he still heals you regardless. Listen to the old preacher, would you? I'm not sure that you will. Jesus that day had a compassion on him that was activated into grace and mercy. Secondly, Jesus said, he asked him if you're willing. Jesus said, I am willing. That word willing means desire. Why don't you turn, if it's the will, why don't you turn that word will into, if it's your desire, you can heal me. You can change me. You can bring my son to God. You can change me today. And I can walk out into this day and the sky won't be blue. It'll be blue. Listen to me. Listen. The third thing, he knew Jesus had power. And verse 42 says, he was cleansed immediately. He came to God, to a God who was compassionate enough, listen, to touch him, willing enough to heal him, and powerful enough to change him. Let me say that again. He came to a God because he took the 50 steps who was compassionate enough to touch him, willing enough to heal him, and powerful enough to change him. And then Jesus said something. Why did he do this after he healed him? I'm going to come back to one more thing. But he said, don't you tell anybody. Uh, yeah. Uh, duh. Why would Jesus ask me to do something he knows I'm not going to do? Jesus told many people, don't tell it. And every one of them told it. Stay with me. He didn't want him to tell it because of a mission that was greater that Jesus had than the healing of that man. Jesus came not because he wanted to fix stuff here, but he wanted to fix stuff so that it could be different there. He came to offer himself as a sacrifice, and he knew that if people only saw what he sought, what he had in his hand, they would miss. Like Moses said, Moses sought the face of God, not God's hand. In other words, when you seek God's hand, you only bargain with God for what he does for you on this earth. Seek his face and you'll get more than what his hand gives. You'll get who he is. And one day we shall be like him. Now listen. Listen. I saw the beauty of a glorious Judean sunrise when he touched me. Listen, notice if you read that scripture, the first thing that he did, Pastor, was he worshipped him. Well, I'll worship him after he heals me of leprosy. No, you won't. You worship him before he does that. And then Jesus touched him, touched a leper, touched a leper. And he wasn't even healed yet. He was worshiping a leper, and Jesus touched him, and he wasn't even healed yet. Have you 
following Jesus because of the stuff that he passes out? Are you worshiping God because of who he is? <laughs> Listen, here's what he said. Write this. This is probably the heart of the whole matter. My affliction was banished at the word of Jesus. But it was his touch that made me believe that word. My affliction was banished by the word, but my affirmation was treated by his touch. Jesus said, don't tell anybody. Pastor, would you come to the instrument here, over here, just play lightly for me, if you will. When the story started, the leper, remember, let's go back. The leper was in a lonely place, wasn't he? But by the time it's over, Jesus said, don't tell it. And the Bible says, because the leper told it, Jesus could no longer come into the city. He had to only be out in lonely, lonely places. See, Jesus didn't just redeem me. He came here to take my place. He took me as leper. As a leper. And he didn't only cleanse me, but he let me go into the city as he went into the lowly place. He took my place, and he who knew no sin became sin for me. That's the power of the gospel. Pastor's going to come. In just a moment, I'm going to come back for one more call. I'm going to ask you those, if you'll give us the privilege to pray with you. You don't have to respond any certain way. Just respond like God tells you to respond. Be real. Because I'm going to be real. He's going to come. He asked to do this. And then I'm going to become, I'm coming right back. And we're going to give a little altar call. And we're going to see God do some things like he did in the first service. Pastor. Hey Amen. If the ushers would come. You know, Ron and Suzanne all weekend, they have given and given and we've received and we've received and it's now our turn to give back. Amen. And we want to help them meet their needs. They have the same bills you and I have and they travel the country preaching the word and they depend on folks like us to enable them to continue to do that. And what an incredible ministry they've shared with us this weekend. So we want to, uh, we want to be a blessing to them and, and help meet their needs. So we're going to receive a love offering. If you're writing out a check, just make it to CT Church. You can go on your app and pull your phone out and put guest speaker under your giving app and we'll know exactly where that's supposed to go. But we want to, we want to be a blessing to them as much as they have blessed us. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and privilege to, uh, to be a blessing. And Lord, we know we cannot outgive you. Your blessing always comes back. But we want to we wanna help meet their needs today, Lord. And we want to say thank you for uh, sharing and, and just uh, giving us such a, a great weekend of ministry that has just helped so many people. And we, we just ask that your hand of favor and provision will be upon them and anointing, Lord God. And we pray that this offering will help meet their needs that they have right now, Lord God. And we ask it in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. As the ushers are going, we can do two or three things at one time. Let me just share with you as they pass. Thank you, by the way, for giving 
Suzanne and I, we just, uh, we take care. She was in India where we rescued little girls out of uh, slave trafficking. That's our biggest passion going, to save the children. Um, let me tell you one little story, and then I'm going to give the altar call. I don't know why I'm going back to my childhood. My pastor, I didn't have a father. Uh, Mom raised five kids. But when I went to a church, the pastor of that church called me his young Timothy. I was his young Timothy. All of a sudden, I had a spiritual dad. The great need, men, listen to me, men. Our cities, our churches are desperately in need of spiritual fathers. We are in need of spiritual fathers. Be a man of God and a spiritual father. I went to do my spiritual father, my pastor's, I, did, I went to do my pastor's 40th, Ted Vibbert, who pastored a big church in Indianapolis, Indiana. I went to do his 40th anniversary. And I was, while I was preaching, a little man on up in years had a cane. He stepped out in the middle of the aisle and he began to cry so loud that I, I couldn't even think. I didn't know if he was having some kind of uh, issue. I didn't know. He was ah, 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 shaking on a cane. What'd you do? Would you keep preaching like nothing's happening? I looked over at my pastor and I said, why is that little man crying so do I need to stop? What I need to do? Pastor said, go out and ask him who he is and why he's crying. I said, okay, sir, I will. So I went down the aisle, the center aisle on his 40th, and I looked at the little old man. Now listen to me. And I said, sir, I thought inside of my own soul, I said, I know I'm not preaching that good to get him to cry like that. And I hope to God I'm not preaching that bad. <laughs> I said, sir, why are you crying like you are? Here's what he said. He said, I can go home to heaven now. I can go to heaven now. I said, why? I want you here. He said, I've always wondered what happened to little Ronnie. Wait a minute. Only my mama called me little Ronnie. I said, how did you know I was little Ronnie? He said, I was the Sunday school bus driver that came over into the inner city and picked you up on a Sunday school bus. I didn't know that I was carrying a preacher of the gospel. I can go home now. Stand with me, would you? Here's what I want to ask. And I don't want you to think about it. I want you to take the steps necessary. No matter who you are, where you are. You want to eliminate some distance. If you have a need, you have a potential that you know that you haven't reached in God, you got some issues, some situations. It's going on. You need a healing. You just need God to do something. Wherever you are spiritually, God would not have it so. It's impossible. We are facing issues today that the church needs to come alive. We cannot live for God as we are. If you want revival fires to be stirred inside of your life, I want you right now across, and they filled it up, I want you to come and just stand all the way across. Come now. Don't hesitate. I mean, it's important. Take the step. 50 steps. Take them. Take them. Jesus is waiting with a healing touch. Come. Come. Please come. Please. 
Lord, don't let the one that needs to come hesitate. Please, Jesus. Please, Jesus. Don't let religion stop us. Don't let same old, same old status quo stop us. We come today to touch you. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.